0: News, 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 news. New, 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 news. new York City. The
1: FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more
0: interesting by the minute. F-A-Q. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC on Tuesday afternoon. I'm Harry Siegel in Brooklyn, joined over the internet by Professor Christina Greer. Hello. Hi there, Harry Siegel. And Alex Brooklyn in Manhattan. So there's a ton happening this week. Alex, do you want to give us just a little run through, starting with the mayor's surprise announcement that public school buildings, which had closed a couple weeks ago, would be reopening and that we'd be returning finally for the first time this school year to five day a week instruction in class, albeit with a whole bunch of asterisks.
2: Sunday is when. Bill de Blasio announced like there was no reason to announce it Sunday and not Monday because it did, didn't affect anyone's sign up. So, like, doing that was just this emergency weird press game. Um, what happened Monday? Cuomo orders hospitals to make emergency prep. So, we're going back into that scenario 50%, you know, add 50% capacity um, to your beds, preparing staffing shortages. Uh, Some hospitals already reporting staffing shortages. Here's the interesting thing. Cuomo is looking to move patients between systems, public and private. And Bill de Blasio then today was like, they're looking to do a similar thing with the FDNY where they can transport patients from borough to borough so that Queens doesn't get overwhelmed again and they can like put stuff to the Bronx. Now de Blasio is like the king of good ideas, but like, are any of them going to fucking happen? So, and then- there's the landlords suing small businesses for back rent like immediately, like right out of the gate, right about we're about to go back down into like pr- maybe another shutdown for retail and stuff. And like all these landlords for these small businesses are like suing them for back rent, which was a tactic used by like people to get their long term commercial tenants out of the spaces so that they could just have these vacancy rewards. And now, like, you look around and there's so many vacant storefronts. Like, where the fuck are these landlords thinking? They Like, they just want to get their spaces empty. It's it's very – it's literally, like, the richer causing
0: blight. In just a minute, we're going to have Professor David Bloomfield of Brooklyn College and the CUNY Graduate Center on to uh, talk more about what's happening and not with the school's – After that, you're going to be hearing about a cool new project we have along with NYU students called the uh, People's Podcast. There's a number for that. You'll be hearing it a bunch over the weeks to come, but if you want to take it down right now, it's 917-475-6010. And we'd love to hear about the uh, topics you think we should be covering, maybe even the ones we've totally missed up until now. And if you want to... uh, give a ring and suggest some of those. We would love to hear from you. With that, I know what parents want to hear. I know what teachers want to hear. They want to know what's going on and how seriously they should take it as things keep reversing and re-reversing. So let's bring in Professor David Bloomfield. Welcome. I know a lot of uh, our listeners are personally experiencing this but I'm hoping you can take us through. Since the virus arrived, we've had all sorts of whiplash and and sort of neck-snapping changes with what's happening. The latest is that five-day-a-week school is back uh, with all sorts of fascinating asterisks there. It's back as of uh, a week from now, and it's back for elementary school and uh, District 75 and students with special needs, and it's back for those students so long as they were already in in-person classes or signed up in the mayor's wackadoo a last minute last-minute sign-up-now-or-lose-your-chance-for-everything, he announced a few weeks ago right when schools were closing. And it's supposed to be back for those students um, right at the same time that the the numbers are going distressingly up, but it's not clear now what the threshold for uh, new closures would be and how any of that would work. So. David, can you just take our, our listeners through how we ended up here um, and, and how the mayor's vision and leadership has been? He was determined to get the schools open, and he was the one big city mayor who did that right away, but they haven't been so open, and it, it seems a little weird to me at least.
1: Well, let's start at the beginning, Harry and Christina, which is that the virus arrived in January, and we really knew about it in, fe- in February. So lack of planning is is really what your listeners have to understand. There's been a singular lack of planning by the leadership in the mayor's office, by the Department of Education, since February, when they should have been planning. And de Blasio, even at that time, stubbornly decided against the recommendation of his public health officials to keep the schools open, probably just a few days, maybe a week, maybe a week and a half, but that was an important time when his medical advisors were telling him to close the schools, and he was saying, carry on. Then the schools closed with very little preparation for remote instruction. Teachers were sent into their schools, where a number of them picked up COVID and unfortunately died because uh, they weren't protecting themselves. They weren't able to protect themselves. And all spring, we had basically all remote in a, in a series of, of precipitous move. First, it, most people were on Zoom. Then it turned out Zoom didn't meet federal privacy requirements. And so Zoom was shut down. Most people moved to something called Google Classroom. Uh, Microsoft Meets. Uh, and 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 it continues to be the Wild West as far as uh, remote instruction. And even with the mayor's now proposed, it hasn't happened yet, five-day-a-week instruction for about 200,000 kids, uh, which is great. Most kids will be on remote instruction, which is still, you know, just depend on your teacher, depend on the principal, because those are the people carrying almost all the weight and, and and that is criminal on the part of the mayor and the chancellor.
0: And as of now, if I'm not mistaken, this five day a week forthcoming thing, which will roll out at different points in different schools, is not at all scalable. That's why there was this one time cutoff. So if a lot more parents wanted to come in, then five day a week would no longer be available. And it might not even happen in each of these elementary schools for the students who are already there let alone for the majority of the system that's still learning remotely, at least if they have iPads and wireless and so on, and can work out their Google Classroom logins.
1: The the mayor really stumbled into this, bungled into this, uh, the way he has uh, often during these past nine months. Uh, So he had several thousand people already doing uh, live instruction, high school, middle school, and elementary school. They decided because the attendance was so low and the enrollment in live instruction was so low because people just didn't trust the safety of the schools. Uh, most parents stayed remote. He opened up the window for a short period. Thirty thousand more kids poured in, and at that point, the mayor and the mayor and the chancellor—you know—it's a blue light special. Okay, one time only. And and that, by the way, was again uh, the untrustworthy mayor changing the rules when he said that. Only that time during the school year could people opt in. When he had said previously that there would be four times that people could opt in, so a, a few uh, thousand, tens of thousands, because we're New York City, everything is really at at super scale. And they realized that they could have five-day-a-week instruction for the kids who had then opted in, about 20% of the total school population. So most kids are still on remote. They're still totally dependent on their principals and their teachers to figure out what the hell Google Classroom is. And the mayor tends to ignore that fact. So a lot of what's going on is sleight of hand. All he talks about is this obsession that he has with on-site instruction, which it turns out is a sort of reverse triage where the more privileged whiter kids Mm -hmm. are disproportionately represented in that in-school group, and the poorer kids, the kids who probably need that more, are the ones who are left to fend for themselves along with their teachers and their principals, uh, often without internet
3: to do what is supposed to be remote education. So I've got two questions for you, because in this whole conversation, we keep talking about the mayor— where is school chancellor Cranza in all of this narrative? Like, I, I very rarely ever hear his name mentioned, and one would think that he would be leading the charge and not Bill de Blasio, who clearly does not know what is going on.
1: Right. You know, I have a list of my talking points and, and the last, <laughs> but maybe most important is where's the chancellor? Right. Uh, and and I, I think, what that, I mean, that's kind of the original sin that we forget back in time, the before times, as we say, when Carranza was a second choice and the superintendent of Miami had that famous press conference. He was about to accept the anointment as the chancellor of New York City Public Schools, the largest school system in the country. And they stuck on the issue that Carvalho wasn't going to be able to appoint his own deputies. They would have to be okayed by City Hall. Out goes Carvalho. He quits on live TV. (laughs) And they pull this guy who has been superintendent of schools of Houston for 18 months. Uh, Houston is about to go into receivership under uh, the Texas Education Department. Uh, So Carranza escapes. But I think what he didn't really understand was that he really needed to step up. And and Mm. because he never stepped up, I think he should step down. Uh, Mm. The mayor has essentially taken over the the department of education in a in a way that is in way over his head he would never assume direction of the police department by the way which he probably should do more right uh, Hello. Ins- instead he's decided that he's going to be the chancellor in chief and and i think carranza really doesn't understand that it's a, it's a semi-independent agency uh it's not even a city agency it's not a right. mayoral agency right and and this is a man who, who came in uh you know he just wasn't ready for prime time he didn't know the system and, and i think we're left with a situation where Carranza is willing or must take a back seat to a mayor who insists on hogging the spotlight and and the mayor really doesn't understand education he's not a professional.
3: Right, right. And leave that to the professionals. But my second question was, you were talking about scale. And we we know that New York City is the largest public school system in the country by far. We We hear that all the time. But are there other public school systems either across the country that we should be looking to, even if they're smaller? Are other public school systems doing something right? Or are there particular schools or clusters of schools within the five boroughs that we should look to as models as we try and figure this out? Because clearly it's going to be another, at least half of this school year and possibly another entire school year before we get things back on track. Well let's
1: be clear, nobody is doing this well. Some are <laughs> who's doing, doing it-, it
3: less horribly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. So like I know there's F minus and there's F. Like who's who's getting like a D minus, <laughs> right. right? Well, I think I think the school systems that have stuck
1: with their bad decisions uh have probably done better than the ones like De Blasio, who has moved from one plan to another to another, and nobody can get their their sea C- legs. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as I said, I think that what, what de Blasio is doing now in terms of at least the, the marquee, what's going on behind the scenes, I think is more questionable, but the marquee is younger kids seem to do better in this situation with live instruction than older kids. They seem to get less sick. They seem to spread the disease less than others. That's not to say that there's zero transmission, uh, and, and really, I think we should be looking to Europe, which had the pandemic earlier mm-hmm. and has learned better what to do. And and that's what ought to be done. As I said before, I think that that he's now hit upon the right solution for the wrong kids. He, he should have, you know, remember back in the day, more history. They actually graded the kids. They they withdrew the kind of A, B, C, D that we're used to, but there were kids who were doing meeting standards or not meeting standards. They never seemed to have done anything with that information. Why didn't we take the kids who weren't meeting standards, the ones who were obviously falling most behind, and given the live instruction to, to those kids? I don't know how many. They never said, because... Uh, Part of the poor planning has been the poor information flow. They had an anonymous survey at one point during the early summer, I believe, about whether parents intended to send their kids back to school. Well, why was it anonymous if they had been able to put names and locations to those kids, even if it wasn't a promise, it was just an idea. They would have had a rough idea about how to plan for live instruction. They never did that. And and so we ended up in that place back in September where school was delayed and delayed again because they really had no idea who was coming to school. And and attendance, by the way, is still woeful. Uh, We don't really even know uh, the number of kids who are regularly attending a full complement of classes. We need that information. Let's hope they have it at the DOE, but it doesn't seem that uh, there's somebody at the rudder. And we should talk, I guess, for a minute. Not only is there a problem, I think, with the chancellor, but... There's been a merry-go-round of people at central, the the highest administrative levels, who have left the system. the The first deputy chancellor is now in Georgia. The person in charge of planning went to the Biden campaign. Uh, so uh, I, I really wonder about uh, the leadership. And and so much has fallen and and. Really, my my gratitude, my admiration to the principals and the teachers who have shouldered this throughout.
0: So that that survey that happened over the summer, the mayor promoted very aggressively, and he said it proved that three quarters of parents were really determined to have their kids back in school, and that was the justification for reopening the full system, including high schools and junior high schools where a lot more students can actually work remotely. And then a fraction of those students actually showed up to courses because they weren't actually committing to anything. And because of the way it was framed, that seemed pretty obvious at the time. I wrote about it about over the summer. Liana Zagare wrote a terrific piece of Brooklyner about that. And I want to go back to something you mentioned a bit ago about how the DOE really is independent to some extent. There's a lot of talk now about what's going to happen with mayoral control. Uh, Michael Mulgrew of the UFT has talked pretty openly and he said this before about wanting the mayor to have less power over that board and to sort of uh, distribute it. And up until now, at least, it seemed like de Blasio has really made the decisions for Carranza on these bigger calls that the one group he keeps his promises to no matter what has been the teachers union, whose buy-in he needed, of course, to reopen the schools. So that three percent threshold was absolutely sacred and binding. Whereas the commitment to parents to have quarterly uh, you know, re-enrollments was, you know, this is life, circumstances change. So I, I've loved your view on how the uh the union locally and uh Randy Weigart and nationally have have handled this so far amidst all this uncertainty and about what should happen in Albany next year when Merrill Control is supposed to be up for renewal. Well,
1: I think that uh Michael Mulgrew was somewhat blindsided uh, by this. Uh, I, I think he was willing to go ahead with the mayor's plans. Uh, he's been a supporter of the mayor throughout the seven years of the administration. Uh, the problem, though, was that his rank and file were scared to death. And I think that Mulgrew quickly had to get his act together in terms of the uh, the teachers to uh, get keep their support, and and it was he who really engineered those uh, serial delays back in in September to go through to some degree of performance, but I think also they weren't ready because they didn't plan to get those schools in physical shape with ventilation, et cetera, to uh, make that possible. Now, let me say that I'm actually a fan of mayoral control, It's one city. I don't know how we could devolve governance to the set of community school districts that we have. The mayor always has control over the budget. He has control over the union contracts. And it it just seems impossible to have operational control in, for example, a board of education like we used to have. That was a great success, huh? And so I think we have to reform mayoral control, but I don't think we can throw it out. We're left with it because we have a strong mayor city charter and power flows and, more importantly, money flows from
3: that. So, David, what's the plan to get out of this? I mean, I I think... (laughs) You've you've laid out beautifully, sort of what has gone down, uh, or or not, um, for failed leadership. But what would you tell parents who were just like, "So we'll have a slight reprieve over winter break"? What are they to expect? Where do we go from here? What should teachers and principals plan for? Like, what's the path? where right. do you so, see us going? Right. So we,
1: we should have low
3: expectations. We're we're <laughs> all in a way, you know.
1: Walking in place uh, for, have been for nine months, will be probably for another five months, nine months. So I think people shouldn't expect too much. I think the mayor should stick with this plan, modifying it along the way, perhaps. But but for instance, uh, we have a lot of high schools and middle schools sitting empty right now. He seems to be reserving those schools for eventually at some time in three months, four months. He talks about when the vaccine comes out and is widely available to move high school and middle school kids back into live instruction. I think he's wasting a great resource. We could have a lot more elementary school kids in those schools now, since he's changed the rules about what he's gonna do with live instruction. It's not gonna be two days a week or three days a week. It's supposed to be five days a week. A little elementary school kid could be going, a special needs kid could be going to Stuyvesant High School, the building, while it sits sits empty. Uh, Now, you know, maybe there are teachers wandering in the building doing their remote instruction from there, but it seems to me that that would be secondary to moving a great number of kids into our middle and high schools while the mayor is trying to increase live instruction. But that would be a tweak. Meanwhile, keep with the plan. Whoever is committed to live instruction ought to be going to school, and I think he ought to be, and he is pushing that. And he also needs, uh, very important, to improve remote learning. And that, as I said, has just been a disaster. It, it It's not good. In, in the best of circumstances, but it has to be better. And, and he has to put a lot of resources into providing devices, providing internet access to shelters, I mean, that's unconscionable. Uh, and, and and to say that it's gonna take, you know, basically till the vaccine to have internet access in a shelter for kids who need it the most, uh, really needs to, to they, they need to get going and they need to have a better, stabler, leadership at Central, at the Central DOE, and the mayor has to let those professionals get on with their business instead of hogging the spotlight and thinking knows everything. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So with most students still learning remotely, despite these headlines about the restoration of five days a week school, and of course, that five days a week coming as soon as possible, at different points to different schools. And a lot of that I think is the math with with having this agreement that the same teachers can't teach uh, remote and in-person classes on the same day system-wide. Although a lot of principals have just done their own carve-outs without making a fuss about it where teachers are doing that. My big question to close here is looking ahead to 2022, how much damage is going to be done for students, particularly in the younger grades, particularly for those with special needs? And given the lack of assessment, as best we can tell, and, and real grading and attention paying this year, how much damage is going to be done? And what should the um, the mayoral candidates and uh, the next chancellor, who one of them is going to appoint, what, should, what do they need to be doing? Assuming we're back, all students are in classes again just to help uh, help bridge that gap and stabilize things going forward?
1: I, I want to strike the word damage. The, the kids are the kids. Uh, and, and, you know, people talk about the glass half empty, half full. I got a million glasses. Some are doing better than others uh, in, in different ways. It, in some sense, all of this has, has been a wake-up call. It turns out that grades are really screwed up. We don't know. We've never known what kind of hardships are going on in a family uh, that may affect some kids' grade or not. Uh, So we have to start thinking about our grading system as as a a social justice issue, not just as a sorting mechanism. Uh, and, And we're going to be able to we're going to have to take the kids as they come to us. And, and that means we're going to have a group of second graders, some of whom have done splendidly well, and some who have had difficulty academically, emotionally, physically. And, and we're just going to have to get on with business. I think we need a, a, a tutoring program that will supplement the regular school teaching. I, I think we're going to have to be creative in our use of space and our use of the available resources in terms of special education, especially. But the mayor still has ignored uh, ENL students, English as a New Language students. What about them? Uh, we're going to have to, like, sort of just pick up in September or July, whenever we can start functioning in any sense of normalcy. And uh, that's when the picture will have to start becoming clear. Not now. Now we're just trying to to survive.
3: So, David, I have just one, one quickie. Um, what do you want to hear from all of the mayoral candidates? I mean, we're about to start seeing the march of all of the, the Democratic candidates. There are going to be some Republicans who pop up. Uh, we've got a truncated uh, primary time period. What would you want to hear from a mayoral candidate that would make sense to help us get out of this conundrum?
1: Well, one thing I would like is a recognition that mayoral control doesn't mean mayoral dictatorship, that they that the mayor recognizes that their choice of school chancellor is going to be important because it's the school's chancellor who's going to be running the school system, not the mayor of the city of New York who has other things to worry about. I want to hear a vision for humanity to to realize that children, that families are just going to be picking themselves up off the floor. And the idea that you're suddenly going to reinstitute high-stakes testing for middle school gifted programs would be just crazy. They're going to have to deal with the, the specialized high schools. So it's a much smaller issue, the competitive high schools that are determined by admission based on a score on the SHSAT. So I think we're going to be, have to be a much more human city when we start to recover from the pandemic, and, and that includes education.
0: Professor? Thank you so much for uh, taking the time, and I hope uh, you'll come back again and we'll keep this uh, this conversation going as we hopefully move toward that uh, that future. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. At the top of the episode, I mentioned the People's Podcast, debuting in December right here at FAQ. This is a project intended to bring your voices and ideas much more directly onto our podcast And it's the brainchild of three students in NYU's Digital First Studio 20 graduate program. Sarah Anderson, Waqas Ahmed, and Lee Carter. Alex and I spoke with them earlier this week. And let's jump right in.
2: What is the People's Podcast with FAQ?
4: So our project is to create a segment at the end of FAQ's podcast in which we will give your listeners a voice. So basically, we would like to start by asking uh, the audience what New York City story they would want us to cover. And then we will open a phone line in which they can call and submit some suggestions. And then each week, they will vote on the people that we should interview. So that's really a project about engaging with FAQ's
2: audience. Uh, What are some of the subjects that you guys like kind of came up with as examples?
5: The suggested topics could really be anything. Um, They could be anything from political, the political beat to the impact of COVID to issues of gentrification to the empty storefront crisis. It really could be anything that pertains to New York City.
4: Yeah, so for instance, uh, maybe you, your listeners are wondering about how Broadway artists are coping now. Maybe they're curious about how the rapid tests are going on in New York City, or maybe they're concerned about reopening schools. We're really open to any suggestion.
2: And what are, what are each of you doing? Like, what are each of your roles involved in the People's Podcast? You're going to be like going out and getting uh, man on the street answers and stuff like that. So, which one is doing that? Who's doing the editing?
5: Hmm, that's a good question. I think that we're all sort of doing all of that. Um, Wakas is sort of our master technician, so uh, he will get all of that working. Yeah, and then I probably will work more on the design of the of the project. And then Sarah, I think, will be, well, I'll, I'll let Sarah speak on her behalf.
4: Yeah, so we really see this as a teamwork. Um, so we we expect to go, the three of us on the field, and interview the people that um, you have decided. But following on, on what Lee said, that Wukas is making sure that we are collecting your voices through the various channels that we are implementing right now. Um, but basically a phone line and I will work on the editing part and Lee will also work more on the stories and finding the most relevant people that we should interview based on your suggestions.
5: The phone number to call is 917-475-6010. Really, we have one question. What is the New York story you want covered? And as I said before, people can call in with any topic that's related to New York. We want a broad range of topics. And then we will sort those topics and begin our investigation on one of them.
2: When I was a kid, I would hear, you'd walk through the city and you'd hear a payphone ring because, you know, there were a lot of payphones that actually worked. Right, um, in the city, and I remember I picked one up on the corner of Astor Place, like right in front of Astor Place barbershop. Um, so to, walking towards Astor, and I remember I picked up the phone. I must have been like fourteen and it was ringing. And it was, you know, heavy breathing. It was clearly somebody in the midst of something hoping someone would pick up some sort of sexual thing. But my question is, are you guys prepared for like the prankster New Yorker onslaught? And are we gonna hear any of those if they're not too horrible?
5: Um, Sure. Well, you know, that's what gives um, flavor to the city, right? I mean, a lively community and personality. And so I feel, you know, yeah, I think that we're expecting that and that'll be part of it um, as long as it doesn't get, you know, raunchy or or anything.
2: I mean, we don't want pranks, but like if pranks happen.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not opposed to pranks if it's really funny, but, um, you know, mostly we really want to learn about the community. We want to learn about the audience. That's what this project is about. It's, It's about listening to the audience and allowing the audience to determine the direction of our reporting
0: If you've been listening to this podcast, you've heard plenty of our voices and have some sense of our preoccupations and interests already. And we don't know what we don't know. And this is a great chance to tell us what we don't know, to have this crew find out more about it and to, to expand what we're doing so that it aligns with what's interesting and important to you, our listeners. So we really hope that in the course of this, we're going to, we're going to hear from you and that, uh, This should be, I think, a lot of fun. Let us know.
2: Again, that number is what?
5: 917-475-6010.
2: And we'll be plugging that phone number all throughout this episode and many to come, as well as probably doing some of those old school flyers with the little cut up numbers. So keep an eye out for some old school punk rock Xeroxed FAQ flyers that I'm really excited to be as my contribution to this endeavor. Um guys, I'm so happy that you guys are are doing this. It's such a great idea.
5: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: This is exciting. Uh Sarah, guys, Lee, thank you guys very much and uh let's uh let's find out what people want to know more about, yeah? people's spots Absolutely. Podcasts.
5: People's
3: Podcast.
5: (laughs) F.A.Q.
3: FAQ NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists and Artists. We're headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this week from the boroughs of Brooklyn and Manhattan. A special thank you goes to our guest this week, Professor David Bloomfield of Brooklyn College and the CUNY Graduate Center. Stay tuned for more from the People's Podcast. If there's a subject of interest to you, you can call and leave a message at 917 475 six zero one zero. Our executive producers, Alex Brooklyn and Adam Kamara mixed and edited this episode. Be safe, be good, wear a mask, and we'll see you next week.